welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner. I believe in the power of sharing our experiences and knowledge with others, and when we do, we are creating ripples of impact around us. Each week, get ready for intimate personal shares, honest, relatable conversations, aha moments, and so much more. This space was designed to create empowerment, inspiration, community, and provide guidance to elevate those around us. I am so excited to have you here. Get ready and let's start creating ripples. Hello and welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner, and today I'm being joined by Jen Gilhoy, which I had to confirm that I said it right beforehand because I've definitely butchered it once we've hit the record before for people. So Jen, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast and our paths, we recently met in person for the first time, um, but I've been crossing paths virtually. And so it's always fun to get to connect with different people and hear their stories and to have them on the podcast to share their experiences and what their life has led them to. And Jen is a perfect example of taking her personal experiences and using it for the greater good to make an impact. And I'm excited for her to share that with all of you today. So welcome, Jen. Thank you, Alex. It's so great to be here. And it's been really great to meet you in person um, and kind of like you said go back to the virtual space and I've listened to your podcast um, probably since October so excited to be here. I'm so happy that you're here and I would love for you to share your experience and your story and what got you to where you are today. Let's dive in. Yeah. Um, so full disclosure, I just turned um, 50. So milestone birthday and Happy looking belated. back. <laughs> thank you. I had a huge party for it and we'll probably not be doing that again anytime soon, but it was amazing. Um, and just reflecting on sobriety in my journey, which, you know, really started in my teen years with alcohol abuse, continued through college um, the social spaces piece of it, being in college, you know, dorm living, all of that contributed to my alcohol abuse. And I think I knew in my teens, so this is different for people at various levels of sobriety. And um, I, I knew, I knew I had a problem. Um, alcohol ran in my family, but I was absolutely terrified at the idea of sharing that with anyone. And I just wanted to be normal. I really just wanted to be normal and fit in. And I didn't see how that was possible without drinking. So that college experience continued into the workplace, into career, um, thought I could control drinking. And if you look at literally my decade, like 20s and 30s, it was this struggle to keep control over my drinking. And what's really interesting, Alex, is that, you know, a lot of people, when I shared, when I finally got sober in my forties, they had no idea. I'm like, wow, I was a pretty good actress. I hit it well. I would have all of these crazy things and guidelines that I would set for myself, which meant, oh, I'm not really an alcoholic. Um, so, you know, that is the story. That's the cunning, baffling, and powerful draw of this drug. 
And it kept me in this insanity loop for so long until I finally burned out. I was in corporate America um, at a really high stress toxic environment job, which a lot was created from my alcohol abuse, but com complete burnout experienced um, around age 40. Had two kids. Um, I think they were about ages maybe five and seven at the time. And everything just fell apart. Um, you would think that was rock bottom. It was not. So for two years, so from 40 to 42, I had a couple relapses, one that lasted a week and another that lasted four months. And that second relapse of four months was absolutely devastating because I had to keep it a secret. Everyone knew that I was trying to get sober. And so that changes the whole game. The lengths that I would go to hide my drinking and control it were extreme. And both of those relapses, and Alex will talk about why I'm doing what I'm doing today, happened because I went into social spaces without support. One was a bar, restaurant, kind of evening out with you know, a group of 20 friends on Halloween. The other was a trip to Las Vegas, which good luck trying to stay sober in that environment. I don't know what I was thinking when we went, but um, that is really kind of the space that I'm in right now. And we can talk about how that's evolved, but that is what I want to change. I want to have an impact in our social spaces so that those that are recovering or really just anyone who chooses not to drink can feel supported in our environments. There's a few things I want to touch on. And I think firstly, the last point that you were making of helping people to feel supported in social spaces, I think is so important, whether it's someone that is sober or they're choosing to just not drink for the night, it has to be be normalized. Like we can't make people feel the outlier for choosing not to drink, which is what happens. I don't think people that drink realize when you go out and you're choosing to not consume alcohol, how it feels in those social settings, because drinking is so predominant and it's so normalized that like we go out, we get drinks. And when you're a sober person and you want to go out and meet friends, you want to go somewhere where you know that there's going to be an option for you to not do that besides water and in a space also where you're going to feel supported by the people that you're around where they get it if you decide that you want to leave. Because there's not a lot of places to be social right now where it's not around drinking, which is a total bummer. And I think that's something that is an important conversation to have because we want to have these like really beautiful connections and we don't get them when we center everything around drinking. And I, I think sometimes I forget because I'm so in the thick of it. And I'm curious if you feel this too, Jen, but like, I'm so surrounded by people that are sober and constantly thinking about this and having these conversations that I forget. A lot of people don't know this stuff. And a lot of people don't realize this. And what made me realize this was I had a friend who's sober. She had her friends go to an NA bar in Utah and she posted it on TikTok. And she was like, I had my friends go to an NA bar. And somebody commented, it's kind of rude of you to make them go to an NA bar for you. Like how boring. And I, I wanted so badly. I almost was going to be like, are you joking? Think about 
Like what my, where my head went was, are you kidding? She probably goes out to bars with alcohol every single night. And it was cool to see how people showed up and were commenting back. Like it, it's her night. She gets to decide what she does. And I guarantee you her friends have never gone to an NA bar before. Like they probably take her to a bar with alcohol. And so it's like, we want to have our friends do something without alcohol one night and we're suddenly the bad guys versus nobody would say that about someone bringing somebody that doesn't drink to a bar with alcohol. And that was when I realized, oh, we have such a long way to go for that person to feel like she was in the wrong to have her friends go to a non-alcoholic bar when you know she goes out to the bar with alcohol all the time it made me sad that that was their response but it's like if one person commented it you know a bunch of people were thinking it oh so so true alex yeah um i have so just a quick backup um eight years of continuous sobriety and the you mentioned this whole experience that happened in Utah and it's one of the reasons that for my birthday I hosted a completely non-alcoholic event and I felt empowered to do that these are friends that might have had the same reaction honestly I mean our generation and like where we're at um, they might have never experienced a Mm non-alcoholic bar or an experience so what I wanted was to deliver that and what I try now to really focus in uh, is the acceptance space, like understanding that, gosh, there's so many people who have never had that experience. They don't know. And we have a lot of work to do. Um, And so it's easy to get very frustrated and angry because us, you know, those of us in sobriety or in recovery have had these experiences for so long. And it's really frustrating that our friends or people that support us um, kind of make light of it or um, make it something that is so unrealistic to even ask of someone. So I've been boldly stepping into that. And that's, you know, again, one of the angles of Zero Proof Collective is bringing people together to really highlight the importance of those experiences. So people know, like people have mm-hmm. never been to a bridal shower, never been to a wedding, any sort of social gathering without alcohol present. So I also like, Alex, that you use the word centralized. So I don't want to be the sober, angry person coming into a friend group or you know, a corporate space saying no alcohol and like, you know, all the way over here when we really need to open up the conversation about Mm -hmm. what's possible and share what that feels like for those that just want options. It's hard. It's hard, Mm -hmm. but um, that's the place that I've landed in over now eight years of sobriety. Which I, and that's what I think is so important. And that's where like, initially I felt so frustrated by that comment. And then I had to remind myself how much we are told alcohol is the only way to have fun. And that was that person's reaction to seeing that like, oh, they're making their friends go to an NA bar, like how boring. And it's like, people just don't realize like we can have so much fun without alcohol, but we put, we like put it on a pedestal of like, it's going to provide us with all of these things but it's simply not true. And I think the more we have these conversations of just like, what if we got curious about what we could do without it at the center? Like, 
what if we did go somewhere where we didn't just drink and we spent time together and like, what would that be like for people? Even if they are drinkers, I think it's just having those conversations and my friend posting that I think definitely got people thinking about, okay, like, cool. This is a fun thing that they did together. And alcohol wasn't at the center. It wasn't at the root of it. And it just gets people thinking about like, maybe you don't always have to drink at a bachelorette for my bachelorette. I didn't have any part of it planning and my friends made it a sober weekend all of us together and not one of my friends uh is sober from the group that went except I guess one of them was but like they planned it completely around the fact like they see me show up for them every weekend and go out and have fun why can't they show up and see how I have fun without alcohol and it's just getting people to see it differently And I loved what you said of coming at it from like this open-minded space versus being like no alcohol. It's all banned. It's like just getting people to be open to the idea is what we have to start with. Yeah. I, I firmly believe in that. And it's taken a lot of work to land in that place. And, you know, I certainly, I have a background in events. And so like being around that corporate culture and those social spaces and really um, like your point about friend groups and just people that have your back or support when you don't want to drink. And I think it's, you know, in, in, packs like relationships and friend groups and it's big the conversation around alcohol use and abuse is huge um so i think it's really cool that your friends saw that and supported you with that and then also just touching on the point of two tracks that zero proof collective and i'll I'll talk a little bit about the mission of that but um our vision is to look at you know na and alcohol, like when both of those things are happening at an event, one experience, second type of experience is when it's just completely non-alcoholic and how that changes the level of conversation. I mean, it completely changes it. Let me just say that. Um, And so there's, there's all levels of willingness and openness um, for people to try. And that's as Zero Proof Collective, what we want to create with events and spaces. And I, love that because I think it it is such an important thing of just showing, like I keep saying, but showing people what is possible when we go somewhere and alcohol isn't the sole connector. Instead, we are like, we are the ones actually having (laughs) to connect with people and rely on ourselves to drive the conversation, ask questions and to not use alcohol as the way to get to foster community and connection. And I mean, the few NA events that I've been to in the cities have just been so fun because everybody's there and it's a little bit scary, right? Because we are sober. We don't have alcohol to use as something to give us that false confidence. Instead, we actually have to flex that muscle and we have to get more confident in just going up to people and meeting them and asking them about themselves. And there is so much to learn in those settings. And I think sometimes maybe it can come off as like, oh, people that have been sober, they just naturally feel more confident in those settings. That's not true either. I 
the few NA events I've been to, it still feels a little scary because you go and maybe you know a few people, but you just have to put yourself out there. But it teaches us the idea that we can be social without alcohol, even if it is a little bit scarier, that's okay. There was something that I wanted to go back to within your story uh, when you were sharing about, you know, relapsing and secretly drinking. And I feel that there is something to be said about that because it can, there can be a lot of pressure around like if we're sober and then we drink and scary to share. And I'm curious for you, you know, what that experience was like and how you navigated that, because I've had friends that have been sober and then they go back to their drug of choice. And there's like this feeling inside of them and it's scary to share. And I want to know how we can start to kind of dismantle that a little bit so that people can feel supported in their journeys, because our journeys aren't going to be perfect. And I think the more we have these conversations, it helps people to realize, like, if you go back to your drug of choice, like, don't be afraid to let people know because people do want to support you, but there is fear around that. And that's something we talk a lot about in our sober group. And for you, I'm curious how you navigated through that and what you would say to someone else that maybe has been there before, or maybe they listen and they have a similar experience to that. Oh gosh, Alex, there's, there's so much shame around it. I mean, to think that, so I, my chosen or my option at the time, really the only option to get sober was AA that I had tried to go outpatient. Um, my insurance didn't accept it, all sorts of stories behind that, but the point, um, AA is very hardcore. And I think there was some of the sense that if you failed or if you relapsed, you couldn't really go back into the room. I felt that way. I felt like there was no option to fail. And I think for women in particular, for me, there was also this sense of perfectionism. And I was like, if I don't get it perfect, I can't be a part of it at all. This community, you know, is you got to be sober, you got it. And I get all of that, trust me. But it was like, there's just no room for exploration of what that looks like. So you think of like the life, all the area needs to change to truly be sober. And there is no way that happens overnight. Um, I've, wow, it's a rare person that can just like cold turkey, like done and be fine without doing any of the individual work, doing work with peers whatever support that is. And then the third pillar that is my work is environment. So that's relationships, friendships, like that's the thing that I want people to be thinking about as they are trying to find support for their sober journey. So like, yeah, I got my sponsor. Great. Check. That's my personal work. Yeah. I have my peer group check, but what does your environment and social spaces look like? So you can add an additional layer of support that could be workplace. That could be talking to someone in HR to say, here's what's going on. I mean, that was not happening 10 years ago when I got sober, I was in a company of 350 people. And I honestly thought I was the only one that had a problem or no one was talking about it. And so 
there's no way that I felt like I could say, hey, to my workplace, I need support. When I go, you know, I'm in sales and marketing. If I go to an event, can someone have my back with an NA option or, you know, layers to that? So I think um, as we are on that sober journey, we need to think about all those elements and find support for that kind of third tier. How are we going to manage all of those social spaces? Because that is an absolute detriment to so many people that have accumulated years and years of sobriety. When you're talking about within HR in the workplace, for me, I think about when I stopped drinking and I was working on a team and I told my team, but like, I didn't really tell anybody else. It's scary, right? Like work, we almost have like a different persona, right? I work in a very interesting industry where I feel like I, my work self is the same, like me self, but in like a corporate setting, I think we definitely have like the work persona. And then we have like our non-work persona. And so at work, you might've been at a job for a really long time. And then you get sober. It's like, how do you start? And I'm just curious, like if somebody listening is in this space, like I I know I have a few friends that are sober and they started new jobs and they were talking about how they weren't really ready to share that part of them with their business yet. How does somebody go about that? Because we, I mean, majority of our life is spent working and we probably need to start there to find that support in those environments, but it's really scary. And I think it also can almost feel like there's going to come like a sense of judgment. Like when we tell somebody I don't drink and instantly we have no idea what they're like thinking in their mind about that. It's like, we have an, as a society, like an image of somebody when they say, oh, I don't drink. And I think a, we need to eliminate that because someone choosing not to drink, we have no idea what got them there. And no matter what, however they got there, it doesn't matter. All that matters is this was a decision Mm. that they made for themselves to show up in a different way. And then secondly, like, how do we get people to feel empowered to tell their workplace that? Because once we do, I think then people are more aware because my friend said, once she told her business, they made sure there were any options for her when they did business dinners and things. And so if we don't express that, we don't know what our environments are going to be like, especially if we have to work in sales or we have to go to conferences or events. And the more we can help people to understand that they can advocate for themselves, but also to feel that they're going to feel supported and safe in doing so, because it's definitely a scary thing to go through. Yeah. um, Wow. And depending, well, I'll start by saying the levels of, you know, there used to be this fine line, alcoholic or not, answer all the questions and, you know, define yourself in one of those camps. And so what that created is this, you know, version of the raging alcoholic who, you know, is out of control and has this horrible life. And there are so many in between gray area drinkers and what has happened, I think, with the sober curious movement is there are awesome things like dry January, sober October, all of these ways that we can, that people can say, I'm just testing this out. I'm exploring my relationship with alcohol. Um, in the, you know, a couple of years ago, five years ago, even that 
would have still raised a lot of questions, would have raised an assumption, you have a problem. And now I think it's just blowing wide open as to why you would choose not to drink for whatever reason. So the more we can have a comfort level in those spaces and society understands all the reasons for not drinking, um, the better. And then I would also say um, early on in sobriety, it is really hard to share with people. I know I did not feel comfortable probably for the first year even telling close, like I literally locked myself away and read books, <laughs> um, you know, and so that changes over time too. And I will say that you can learn the language, you can gain confidence, but you also might want to consider just, you know, the culture of a company you're going into even before you accept a job, like doing a little bit of your research on that front, because there are amazing companies. And I'll use the example of Salesforce, which is 75,000 people globally that has an internal group called Sober Force that brings 400 some people together that are choosing to drink for one, whatever, you know, not to drink for whatever reason. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think that is the authentic space that I would love corporate to get to because what's happening now is HR, if, if there's someone in HR that's trying to help you that doesn't have the lived experience, um, especially if you're what I call sober necessary or life or death, you have to stay sober, um, you are getting more like here's an insurance, like more technical direction than support. Um, I noticed that in my workplace too. So I, I think there's just wide open space for people who have any amount of sobriety within a corporate culture to come together and be that voice to, you know, leadership or, you know, um, someone in HR to say, this needs to be paid attention to. Here's how it shows up in the workplace. Um, there's also the productivity angle, right? And and the toxicness of these large trade shows and conferences, which I know firsthand are completely centered on drinking still. Mm. This just got me thinking, do you feel there's an opportunity within the corporate settings to have either a hired like contractor for this sober community, like maybe someone that comes in and either like facilitates a program for people that are sober or that are sober curious for them to grow and feel supported in the workplace. I, I just think there's a lot that could be yes. done. And like hearing you talk about it, I'm like, my wheels are turning of like, gosh, there's so many different avenues and opportunities to help people feel supported in their sobriety personally and professionally. And I, I just think that there could be someone that just works with big companies and essentially like, that's me. yeah, like yeah. you're, you're doing that, but is there, do you think there's an opportunity for you to host events within the companies and like help people like come and do meetings like on site? Like, I'm just thinking about it, feeling that connectedness and support and community within your own business, not even having to go to an event outside, but creating that space there. And I, I think there's Absolutely. like positives and also like probably drawbacks to being in a very vulnerable setting within the workplace, but to have that support from other people that are working through the same things that you are navigating um, sober life. 
Oh, yes. Um, yes. I, in fact, when I launched my personal brand in August of 2021, so that's uh, basically a, all my work is on jengilhoy.com, but that is the, the, the corporate space is what I want to tackle. Specifically, I want to come into conferences, events, um, model, like talk, have a workshop or a panel that directly addresses that company's or industry's culture around drinking. And then I want to roll that into a completely non-alcohol uh, happy hour where we have people that have some experience in navigating sober conversations in the crowd to talk and recognize the complete uncomfortable like discomfort, I guess, with that, that scene and work through it together. So it's like this model of learning what's possible, hearing from your culture, and then actually experiencing it. So that that's what I want to create. That's what I want to do for these large events and companies. Mm. There's just so much opportunity out there to show people what is possible and to empower them in their journeys and give them the support that they need in the different facets of their life. Yeah. And I think, you know, Alex, too, what I love to say, I mean, I've always, I'm a writer and I'm focused on the conversation around the space. So less about you know, what NA options do you have at an event? Although that's important, that's a huge component of it. I want the, the language and the conversation to also go along with this movement. And it's very important, um, is specifically with like, let's say bars and restaurants who do have NA options on the menu, but are like, no one's ordering them. There's a lot of reasons why. So um, I just mentioned that because we need to be in conversation and be in these uncomfortable places with people who are curious and we need to be able to say something that resonates with them if they are truly looking to explore a relationship with alcohol that looks different. When, so I just think one thing that I've noticed is that there are a lot of different paths for people to explore sobriety, which is also making it feel more accessible, I think, to people that maybe felt like, I don't know if I need AA or an outpatient program or an inpatient program, but I'm curious about my relationship with alcohol. And I think what you're talking about is it's because people are showing up and sharing their experiences to help people realize like you can just start to get curious about it. Like I was talking to you when we got together about quit like a woman. And the thing that was super profound for me, and I've, if you've been following on my podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about this, but with cigarettes and how that was such a normal thing. Everybody smoked cigarettes. I mean, we smoked on planes, in restaurants, hotels. Like when I think about that now that I can't even imagine that and everybody did it, right? Like we were mass marketing, targeting people that like smoking was cool and hip and everybody did it. Like it was the thing and it was social and then we realize, like, oh, it's actually not good for us. And now there's little warning signs on the packs of cigarettes that you buy. And I mean, the pictures on there are like, kind of like you see them and you're like, okay, I don't know if I want to do this. And it made me think like, 
when I was reading that book, she talks about how, well, then we moved from cigarettes and we moved to alcohol and we started to market alcohol. And, you know, we were told like everyone uses drinking to socialize or whatever it is that we were marketed and targeted by. And she was like, I think that we are in a wave of starting to realize like alcohol actually isn't that good for us, similar to that of cigarettes. And that there is this wave of people starting to question it, just like we saw with cigarettes and less and less people smoke now. And eventually like the hope would be not even, not even saying you have to fully stop drinking, but just like questioning more of like when we turn to alcohol, because I think sometimes it's just a part of our routine where we don't even question it. It's like, I get done with work. I crack open a beer. I am stressed out. I have a glass of wine. And it's like, these conversations I think are important because it helps people to realize like, maybe that doesn't have to be a part of your routine. Maybe there is a different way. And you can start to get curious about what your life could look like without alcohol or even just like less of it and Mm -hmm. figuring out that like, we don't need to, I I do think we put it on a pedestal a little bit and that doesn't have to be how we navigate life. Yeah, I think, you know, especially coming through COVID, the pandemic, you know, women, particularly um, mommy wine culture and all, you know, the things that have just exploded are an example of the real and devastating impact that the marketing does have. And we see it on our Instagram feeds. Um, we see it everywhere. So <clears throat> I, I think there's you know, opportunity there. Like sometimes I'll see a post about it and I'm like, how do I comment that that might not be the best, you know, like what is, what is my role? What is my place here? Especially like Mm -hmm. on a social media platform. And that is why we want to do events and conversation because it needs to be a larger conversation, but um, talking about what we pair alcohol with. Um, so it's, you know, you do have your patterns, you do have your rituals. In fact, one of the NA, you know, makers ritual, um, ritual proof, all their, you know, tequila, whiskey, all their NA beverages are literally named to address the ritual that alcohol plays in our life. Mm. And so what I have found, and there's also a whole other conversation about being early in serious sobriety and like drinking a cocktail that's not alcoholic but feels like it's alcoholic version right and so retraining the mind and the brain to like recognize that the experience is not going to be the same because you don't have that ethanol in there but that is also a very slippery slope and like figuring out what you pair alcohol with is I think a key to exploring it because I did that I mean and Alex, we've talked so much about like the fitness and wellness industry. And this Mm -hmm. is maybe why I was able to like function as long as I did, but I did not give up working out while I was heavily drinking and binge drinking. So, you know, maybe I go for a week without drinking and I'm working out every day and then a binge weekend, get back on it Monday. And so that cycle also if I looked at it, it truly was get the workout done. You know, I do like 5:30 workout after work. And then there's these hours, you know, 6:30 to midnight that are wide open. And I think for you know many people, women in particular that I know, that's where it gets the ritual and that gets all wrapped up 
in some of those, you know, our free hours. And we can tell ourselves that we have it under control in that way. Mm. How, like, where do we even, I loved what, I'm just trying to like process when you were talking about when you see something on social media and it's hard because it's almost a moment where we can educate, but at the same time, trying to not come across from like a judgment space. And I mean, I see that stuff all the time. I'm a young mom and I constantly am inundated with, oh, my kids are stressing me out. I'm having a wine or I'll get a reel that will be like a mom hiding her white claw in a koozie, like, or I'll be like, how to bring your drink to the park and not have anyone else know and it's like whoa like I think about it all the time I'm imagining if I was hungover I I actually just saw a video about this woman saying you know I love going out but I went out and I still have to wake up and take care of my kid while I'm hungover and it is the worst and nobody warned me and I'm like I can't even imagine trying to take care of my kids hungover. And it's, it's just like, I think about that a lot of how different my parenting would be if I was still drinking or if I hadn't gotten sober or it's, it's, it makes me sad. Like, I also see the other side where people are like, how can you say like, your like kids are so awful that you just have to like drink the stress away. And so I think, and I don't want to come across as judging anybody either in this conversation. I think it is just having the conversation around there are other ways to navigate that stress and to show your kids healthy coping mechanisms. Is it meditating? Is it telling your spouse or your partner, like, I need to take a break. I need to go on a walk, finding a workout class that you enjoy, getting a meal with a friend. Like, I just think realizing that there are different ways that we can work through our stress, whether it's in motherhood or in any part of our life, but it makes me sad because I'm constantly seeing these things. I, uh, Instagrammed a photo from target and it was like, I don't remember. I actually tagged them because it really pissed me off. And it was like, mommy had a hard day. And then it was like a glass of wine or something. And I literally was like at target do better. Like that, yeah. I, I just, I just think it's even, I, I was traveling in California and I saw this book about like how to drink your wine and still be a great mom. And it's, it's so targeted and it's so normalized. And I, I don't know, I just constantly am seeing these things and it makes me yeah. sad because it's like not even question. It's just like, I don't know, but I'm also seeing moms that are showing up on, I love TikTok for this reason is just the different people I've gotten to see, but like, there's this one woman who's like, I was a wine, mommy wine woman. And that hid my alcoholism that hid my addiction because it was so normalized wine, mommy wine culture. And then she's like, and then I realized like, wait, this is, this is kind of toxic what I'm doing. And she shares about that. Like I was so in it, I didn't realize. And now that I'm out of it, I'm like, there's this whole other world that had been waiting for me to access it. But I was so in the thick of it. And 
sorry, this was like long winded. I'm just curious kind of your thoughts around that or how do we start to make a shift there? Because I think that's a really important conversation. Yeah. Oh, I feel you so much. Like I want to cry when you said, I feel sad. I mean, I see it. Like I'm literally, I just, you know, see a post and I'm just like, this is where we're at, you know, and it makes me sad that women, and I did that. So I always remind myself when I see posts that I could be very judgy about, that was me. I mean, I had little ones. I was, you know, I think I like to tell myself the story of, well, I'm so stressed, but I can manage it all. And wine is, you know, my savior. Like I can do it if I have, you know, the bottle of wine, whatever. So that story we tell ourselves is huge. And as women, we need to support each other and figure out other ways to get help. I mean, I think over the last 10 years, when I see younger generations of women working together with their spouse to have support in that, um, that is huge. And just quickly going back to the social media posts. So what I would say there is I've refrained from like, commenting on posts that let's say 200 people have been like yay I totally get it I need a wine you know glass of wine at five whatever I instead of there, am typically reaching out to the person who posted could be an influencer and crafting that message in a way that I actually think might just grab their attention and make them think twice and that is my only goal I've done that with events so some events in particular that are named wine and wellness, um, you know, yoga, brew and yoga, like the pairing and the leading of events with that I have spoken out. And I've now in the last year or two, just, and these are, you know, people that I know. So I'm like, I totally, you know, I know where you're coming from, but I think there's a space that we can shift even, you know, how you're talking about it. So I feel like there's been small ways that I've been able to make impact. And again, coming back to Zero Proof Collective is we want to empower individuals with some of that language and some of those um, ways to call, not call out, but yeah, I mean, bring attention to these issues because these companies need to know. And some, if they are a good company with a culture that is responsive, they're going to start paying attention to that. And I shared this with you when we got together of, I was sober and planning events like that because it was just so normalized. Like everybody was doing it. So I was doing it. And then I finally was like, wait, what am I doing? And I realized, you know, we need to be a space where people feel like they can come and the focus isn't on you work out to get your drink. It's like you work out to feel good and to just de-stress or whatever it is that you need to let go. And after I realized like, oh my God, I, I was a part of the problem and I'm sober. Like, yeah. How about people right. not sober also like just not even realizing it. And it, we're, it's because it, it, we're told that that's just the way it is until mm-hmm. we start to question it and we want more. And really the last few years, like that's what I've been wanting to do. And I loved when I saw zero proof collective, cause I was like, I need to be a part of this. Like, this is something that I've been trying to do for younger women or just people in general of like normalizing, wanting to drink less or to get sober at a younger age. Because when I got sober, there were 
there was old duels. Like how much it's shifted (laughs) since I got sober is insane. And it's like, I want younger people to realize like you can have so much fun and live a really fulfilled life without alcohol. And I think like, as I get older, I realize like, I don't want to just do that for young people. I want to do that for everybody. And that's what I think is so cool about your mission. Jen is like, you want to just show people what is possible and to start the conversation and to help them to see that there are other options and that we also want to support the people that are already living that sober lifestyle so that they feel like they can be proud of the life that they're creating. And it doesn't have to be this secret thing anymore. And that starts with having the conversation. Yeah, it's a huge reason why I landed on the hashtag sober, not somber, which is a mindset and an attitude that, you know, we want to show throughout events and social connections, but also early in sobriety, latching onto that mindset in terms of, I mean, I felt so deprived. I didn't know any other way to feel the society. Every message I was getting was telling me that I'm just going to be deprived for the rest of my life because I won't have access to alcohol. Um, I won't have access to community, which I'm huge on community. I'm absolutely, I'm an introvert, but I love intentional connections. And so to tell me that because of alcohol, I wouldn't have access to that was devastating. So I think sober, not somber. Um, and then the other you know, thing that we had mentioned um, early on is this, this TED talk I'm doing, which is titled Normalizing Not Drinking, is really about dispelling some of the myths, calling out big alcohol, calling out warning labels. Like I would love to see an advocacy group change that warning label that really only says if you're pregnant or operating heavy machinery, you shouldn't be drinking to a laundry list of every single you know impact that alcohol abuse causes not to mention the largest one you know devastating families um so i think that you know there's just so much there that um we can work toward and i will say that in just the conversations and even reviewing what like the tedx community internationally has been talking about related to alcohol is really about brain health and personal sober stories um And we have not even like really started having those conversations about our social spaces and who is accountable for all of the marketing and messaging we're getting around this, this drug. Alcohol is a drug. It's not alcohol and drugs, and it's also ethanol. So it's, it's time. Mm. Sober, not somber is such a powerful statement because right? We think sobriety is boring. We think sobriety is sadness. We think sobriety (laughs) is loneliness and it's simply not, but that's what we go into it thinking. I had that mindset when I first got sober of like, I'm going to miss out on so much. And that shifted inside of me, but it wasn't easy. I had to like, really shift what I was being told. Um, And I talked about this on a podcast recently with my friend Danielle of viewing it as not, I 
have to be sober, but I get to be sober and how much more power that gave me in showing up in spaces without alcohol of like, it's something I get to do. And that allows us to access the power within and feel a little bit lighter and like, okay, I get to be sober at this wedding and it's going to be hella fun versus like, I have to be sober. I'm going to probably sit and sulk around. And it's like, how can we start to help people realize like sobriety isn't the somber thing. And I say this a lot, but we, so we think about sobriety, right. And we are like, uh, it's, it's challenging. It's sad and it's hard. And it's like, yeah, sobriety is all of those things, but so is life when we're drinking. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like all of a sudden my life is way harder and way sadder because I'm sober It was just as hard and sad and challenging when I drank. It's just a different type of hard. And I think that's what we need to help people realize. Like life's never perfect, whether you're sober or drinking, but when you're sober, you get to decide how you show up. You get to decide what you want to do when you're coping through stress, how you want to make somebody feel, what you're going to act like at a wedding. And it's like, you get to be sober and shifting that mindset can help you feel so much more powerful in that journey. And I just think that's like a really beautiful thing that you're doing is showing people like it's not this somber thing. And there is just so much beauty in the journey. Absolutely. Right. We are the luckiest Laura McCowns. I mean, that's the, that's the vibe, right? Um, Oh, so much there. There was one more thing you had said, and now I'm like having my brain fart, of I, course. Um, I had something too. I can't remember. I just, I don't know. I, I love these conversations because that's what it is, right? It's a conversation to get anybody listening, just starting to see things in a different way. And if you're already sober, just starting to think about how you can be an advocate and how you can support others and show up. And that's what it's about, right? It's this entire community of just showing people what is possible. Right. And people don't know what they don't know. I was out with my high school friends recently and I was in a place in a location, let's just say small town that didn't have options. And we were bar hopping. And literally every bar I went to, um, you know, it was like Bush NA or just a blank stare. Like we have nothing. And finally one bartender figured out what she could do, which was just like a club soda, pineapple with a splash of lime. And she, the way that she served me that drink was amazing. She's like, I got you this, you know, she like looked at me and was like, it was, it kind of lifted me up for the evening. And then my friend said, oh my God, Jen, I can't, is this what it's like? Like, honestly, you know, my friend who would, you know, get a drink at every bar was like, I can't believe that. I've never even noticed. So when I hear people in my community saying things like that, that they've never even thought about it, I'm just like, wow, Uh, there's just work to do. And coming from a place of, you know, empathy and like, I was that person ordering all the stuff and the person encouraging everyone to order. And, you know, I think um, that that conversation is so important. And then also the idea that if you are served a drink in a glass, glassware in a setting and an experience that feels like everyone else is getting the same experience, 
people don't know what's in your glass. You could be standing there at a wedding with a beautiful, you know, Chardonnay glass and now an amazing NA white wine in there. People would look at you and be like, you're have she's having fun. She's got her shit together. She is like this picture, of what I think, um, you know, someone who can take or leave their alcohol would look like. They don't know that it's not. So it is a social experiment that I would encourage anyone to do. Like just see how people react to you if they think you're also drinking an alcoholic drink. It's fascinating. <laughs> no, I think you just, people never realize and people don't know. And when I first got sober, it was like, everyone needed me to have a drink in my hand. And I learned that very, very quickly. <laughs> so I just went up and I would order a sparkling water with a lime and people would leave me alone. But if I didn't have something in hand, it was like, everybody needed to make sure I had a drink in my hand. And you had kind of talked about this a, a little bit earlier too, of when you first get sober it's scary telling people and starting to tell people, but I think you don't have to explain why to people is really important. Like if you just say it, I'm not drinking today. That's what I did for the first three months. Oh, I'm not drinking today. I'm not drinking today. Cause it was really scary to be like, I don't drink. And we talk about this <laughs> in my sober group. It's like, it seems so like final and that was scary. And that put a lot of pressure on us. But after a few months, I was like, you know what? I, I don't drink. I don't want to go back to drinking. And so I started to make that shift when people would be like, oh, do you want to drink? I'd be like, I don't drink anymore. And that shift was like so powerful. I was like, yeah, I don't drink anymore. Even though I didn't know what the future held, I wasn't drinking today. I wasn't drinking in that moment. And that was a really powerful shift for me to realize like, I went from being so afraid and in my shell around my sobriety of like, I'm not drinking today. I'm not drinking today, but you'll know when you feel ready to say, yeah. I don't drink. And if it takes months, years, whatever, that's okay. Cause it's not for anybody else, right? You're doing it for you, but you will feel a shift in yourself when you're ready to tell people and you don't ever have to explain yourself to people. You can just say, I don't drink. You don't have to say why you don't have to tell some story unless that's what you feel called to do, but it's yours and yours to keep. But I think just knowing that that is a challenging part for a lot of people is when you start to share, but you get to decide when that feels right. And when that feels good to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's different for everyone. And one of the things that I kind of debuted at my non-alcoholic event experience was sober, not somber challenges, and then responses to the question, why aren't you drinking? Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's the heart of my TED talk. Like, gosh, this is the only thing that we have to explain why we're not doing it. And if we can shift that, wow. But the answers are that, you know, that I provided were at different levels. And one of them was even like, I'm happy to answer that. But first, why, why do you drink? Mm. I mean, just like, just interesting, right? I mean, um, shifting that lots thought. of layers to that. And I think, yeah. And I think like you, Alex, so I, you know, with AA, I felt like I had to declare to my friends and family, like, oh, she's going to the meetings. And it felt very known with my family and friends that I was doing that. So I didn't necessarily feel I had like the luxury of just saying, I'm not drinking today because 
people knew where I was at. And mm-hmm. even, you know, like, so when I would meet someone I didn't know, and I would be with my friends or I felt like I didn't really have the language to say that, which I wish I would have known because that would have lightened it up. I mean, I literally took so much heaviness into those social experiences and awkwardness if people asked. So um, yeah, I think that is wide open now in terms of like what's possible to say. And then if you've noticed, I've had this happen a few more times than I care to share, but the conversation sometimes escalates and they keep prompting. Well, why? Well, I'm just going to get you this, you know, and, you know, a few times I've had to say, you know, I don't drink because I'm an alcoholic and I'll use that line just to like, okay, the conversation needs to end, or I just need to walk away. And I'm actually pretty pissed right now because it's just elevated to the level of, I can't believe I have to deal with this questioning. Yeah. And it's just, I think learning to recognize like your limits, your boundaries Mm. and setting those and staying true to them is a really important part of sobriety. Yeah, absolutely. For you, I'm curious with your TED talk, like what, and you've alluded to this and talked about it a little bit already, but like, what do you want to show people? Like, what do you want to share in that experience? And what is your hope with that opportunity? Yeah, um, great question. So in prep for this TED Talk coming up October, end of October, um, I'm just now putting together the full scope of, you know, the 13 to 18 minute talk. Um, And so there are layers to that. Um, What I hope to accomplish is, and I really want to reach the sober curious and the gray air drinkers who want someone to tell them it's okay to drink for what, for what, or not to drink for whatever reason. I don't feel like that is in society and in our spaces enough. And so what that shift can do, like the second part of the real impact is like looking at how that can actually decrease alcohol abuse, just alcohol use disorder and um, alcoholism. Like what, how can we move the needle on that? It is by this wide area of middle kind of gray area drinkers making these shifts because then what happens is, you know, younger people and families start to see what's possible and generations from now, it's less of an issue. So there's just, there's a lot of layers to it. And then weaving my story in there so people fully understand, um, the hurdles and the challenges to what we need to be addressing. I love that. I'm very excited for your talk. And I think you're going to make a lot of ripples out into the world. And my last question for you is what is the ripple that you want to create? Mm. Well, it starts with conversation. It really does. Um, One conversation at a time that can shift someone's mindset to be more open to exploring their relationship with alcohol. And the more people we do that, because we, we like to do things in groups. And if our friends are kind of, you know, the tipping point, there's a few of them exploring that, that creates a movement that excites me. 
I love that. And I'm excited to see you create those ripples and you already are. And I am very grateful that we crossed paths and to get to see and witness like firsthand the change that you're doing, like right in Minnesota. I think it's going to just start to radiate out across the country, which is going to be really powerful to see. So Jen, where can my listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's going to be amazing. I, I really do. I just wanted to share the, the mission of Zero Proof Collective. So we've yeah. been talking about it all along. Zero Proof Collective is for business leaders and those interested in the non-alcoholic beverages industry to thoughtfully connect, collaborate, and share resources to advance zero-proof options, experiences, and social spaces. So that's a lot, but you know, it, it is unique here in this community and it hasn't been done at the national level because there's siloed people in industries making huge progress. There's makers of these beverages, there's people in corporate. So Zero Proof Collective brings those communities, those people together to do like to really impact change at a societal level. So I just wanted to share that because we, no. we had been kind of weaving in yes. and out of that. So yeah. And that's what I mean. I think that's going to be the catalyst for so many other places to see what is possible and to really start to like get them thinking about okay, this is being done in Minnesota. This needs to be done in more and more places across the country and potentially the world, but that starts with someone and you and that group of thought-driven leaders are following that call and starting to make an impact and starting to make waves. And it's really awesome to see. Yeah, I'm so glad you're a part of it and can't wait to see what we'll do. We meet monthly, so the conversations are really flowing now and it's it's been wild um, so far, but the interest is clearly reflecting that it's really time to pull these groups together and, and advocate for some change in our social spaces. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited. Where can my listeners find you? So you can find me at jengilhoy.com. So J-E-N-G-I-L-H-O-I.com. I'm also on Instagram with that handle. And then Zero Proof Collective, um, you can find us on Instagram, Zero Proof MSP right now. But interesting little story is that we quickly, you know, we launched as Zero Proof Collective MSP and then realized because of national feedback that this is a broader um, reach and expanse. So we are in the transition and eventually you'll be able to find us at zeroproofcollective.com. Amazing. That's awesome. Thank you again, Jen, for coming on the podcast today. This was a great conversation. Yeah. I loved it. Thank you so much, Alex. Yeah. And to all my listeners, make sure you go check out Jen and what her and Zero Proof Collective are up to. And until next time, let's go out and start creating ripples. 